0: Hello, and welcome to Small Town Mysteries, where we talk about shit that went down in these small towns, shit that's unsolved, and shit that led to more shit, except none of these stories actually involve shit so far. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our 10th episode, Double Digit! (gasps) Oh my god, I didn't realize that this... It'd be 10. That's crazy. We did it, guys. So I'm going to turn over right away to Christine. We're going to dig right into it and see if it actually involves shit. And I can stop saying that because it was funny the first like four times.
1: And mm, we might have to re- rework it. We'll see. Well, it doesn't involve shit, sadly, but it does connect <laughs> pretty interestingly to both of your stories last week. Okay. As I was listening to both of you talk about your cases, I was like, oh, hmm, this kind of is similar. Hmm. It does involve a house fire, Ooh. like Rachel's did. And it does involve controversy around the case and the trial, which kind of relates to Kate's and made me think of Kate's as last week you talked about like the whole. Two kind of person, split personalities, dissociative identity thing, and that made me think of this one. So this week, I went down the rabbit hole of children who murder. That's one of my favorite rabbit holes. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, it's a whole story as to how I got there, but no one has time for that or really wants to hear it, so just know that I got there eventually and happened upon the case of Joe and Joy Pittman, who were murdered by their 12-year-old grandson. Christopher Pittman. 12. Oh. Yeah, 12. 12? Yeah. Oh so when God. I say when I say children who murder, uh, like children, like not even a teenager.
0: Oh my God. That's practically an infant. A fetus, if I do say so myself. A
1: fetus with a knife. Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. So first and foremost, I have to start off with a decent amount of background in terms of his life growing up. There is quite a bit of controversy, as I mentioned, with this case and the sentence that he ultimately gets, which I will definitely dive into a little later, but I have to lay the groundwork first by talking about his life prior to the murders. So Christopher Pittman, who went by Chris, which is what I'm going to call him because that's just simply easier than calling him Christopher. Mm-hmm was born in Huntsville, Alabama in 1989. He was the youngest of two children and when he was only six weeks old, his parents split up and his mom left the family. Yep, yeah, that
0: right there is not good for a child's development to uh, have your parents separate that young and also your mom leave. So that's
1: I also couldn't find a a ton of places, but I did see in a couple places that the mom was very young, like she was 16, and I think the dad was around the same age at the time, so they were both extremely young parents. Yeah, that adds up there as well. So they split up, his mom left the family, and Chris's dad kind of ended up raising the two kids on his own. This was obviously difficult for the family, as we can imagine, Mm -hmm. and... After a while, the two children moved in with their maternal grandmother. So even though the mom was not in their life at all, her mother, so their grandmother, was still involved mm-hmm. and then later went over to Chester, South Carolina, to stay with their paternal grandparents. So there was a lot of move, moving around happening and their paternal grandparents were Joe and Joy Pittman. Reportedly, this was a very positive place for the kids, and they really enjoyed going there. While the kids were staying at Chester, their dad moved to Florida, and the kids moved to Florida to live with their dad, and then after several months, ended up moving back to Chester to live with their paternal grandparents again, and then the moving happens again because at this point, their dad is on marriage three and had them all move back to Florida with him and his new wife. Yeah, but then that marriage once again failed after only a few months, and the children went back to Chester, South Carolina to live with Joe and Joy. So not a lot of consistency here. Super all over the place. Definitely traumatic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's understatement of the century, but yeah.
1: So as a child, Chris was described as well-mannered and shy. He was said to never get in trouble- After all of this moving around, though, people notice changes in Chris. He was more to himself, very quiet, and he was Mm -hmm. often described as in his own world. In 2000, when Chris is 11, his mother tries to come back into his life. Before this, there have not been any attempts from her to contact Chris or his sister. However, at this time, she also has just gotten back together with Chris's dad. So Chris is really excited about this because that's like a pretty common dream for young children whose parents have been divorced is like, Mm -hmm. oh, I hope they get back together. But this is short lived because only a few months later, the relationship is over once again.
0: Oh, And that's double devastating.
1: Yeah, because... He had all of these hopes, you know, that they would stick together and they could actually be a family and be stable, and then that's kind of like taken away from him again, and he's probably fearing that his mom is going to leave again, because that's what happened last time. So Mm -hmm. once he finds out about this, Chris decides to run away from home, and he's found 15 miles away, attempting to go all the way to South Carolina- from Florida, to get to his grandparents' house.
2: Okay. How? Like, the first thing that comes to my mind is hitchhiking?
0: It's- I would say he could've walked it, or he could've hitchhiked.
1: Walked? I heard that he just walked. Holy shit! I don't know. It's 15 miles, but he didn't
0: give a timeline of, like-
1: How long, right? How much later they found him, either. This is also the 80s, though. Like. Well, this was, yeah, this was 90s, I guess, because he was born in 89. Okay, so it was 90s. So this was, like, 2000. Yeah, like, Oh, never mind. So I feel like people were like, don't hitchhike. I redact all of it. Sorry. Who knows, though? He could have been doing that. They obviously find him, and he gets brought back to his dad's house. He grabs a knife, and in front of his sister, threatens to kill himself. His sister, Danielle, reports that he stated, you know, I'd rather die than live in this house with you and dad. And
2: Mm.
1: I'll mention it in a bit, but there have been reports by Chris that his dad was abusive. So that could have also played a factor here in him not wanting to go back to that household. Mm -hmm. But his father actually sends him to a hospital where he gets evaluated and is diagnosed with mild chronic depression and defiant and negative behavior. He is prescribed an antidepressant called Paxil and stays several days at a hospital as they keep an eye on him. Chris's father actually has him discharged early against doctor's wishes and brings him to Joe and Joy's house in South Carolina since that's where he clearly wanted to be. Here, it is very clear to people at this point that his demeanor has changed. Once Chris's prescription for Paxil runs out, his grandparents take him to a local doctor who believes that Chris isn't suicidal, but thinks that he should still be on antidepressants for the time being. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is because this is a more remote area or just because of availability, but... Paxil was not available there, so the doctors prescribe him Zoloft instead. And both drugs are SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, but they generally advise people against abruptly substituting one for another.
2: No, 100%. Especially with, with drugs like that too is often there's withdrawals. Like you have withdrawal symptoms. Yep. So yep. like who knows what the withdrawal symptoms were from the Paxil and then you're just like automatically starting a whole new drug who knows how your body's going to react to that that's not a good idea
0: yeah you're supposed to wean off of one and ease on the other you're not supposed to just stop taking one and start taking the
1: other that's yeah. a recipe for
0: disaster, respectfully
1: yeah and at this point I think you've been taking Paxil for like three weeks so it hadn't been a long time but it but just that's still yeah I mean, enough
0: for it to build in your system.
1: definitely yeah so let's take this next part with a grain of salt because this is reported by Chris himself. And as you both have hopefully not forgotten at this point, he is a murderer, albeit a very young one. Right. But Chris reports that his side effects from Zoloft are pretty intense. One side effect he reports is feeling numb emotionally. So like no good emotions, no bad ones, just nothing. Like apathetic, numb. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. He told his aunt on the phone that his skin felt like it was on fire, and Chris's sister also reports that he seemed manic and fidgety. So by his accounts and some accounts of those around him, there was a clear negative change in his behavior, Mm -hmm. and due to this, his grandparents obviously see this, and they take him back to the doctors to report all of these side effects. And the doctors respond to these concerns by increasing oh my God. his dosage from oh. 100, 100 milligrams to 200, 200 milligrams daily.
0: That's not even an increase.
1: Doubling it.
0: That
2: is fucking crazy. And the thing is, like, I feel like most people don't understand that one of the most common side effects of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds is increased suicidal thoughts. So clearly, like, you're just throwing him deeper into a hole here.
0: Especially the younger the patient, the more likely that is. Well, your frontal lobe is, like, not even
1: close to developed. No, not, yeah. That's, that's unbelievable. I know. It, like, blew my mind. And I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit with the trial.
2: And this was, this was the early 2000s? This was happened, to him.
1: I guess this would have been 2000, yeah, this would have been 2001 at this point.
2: That's not right to me, man. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: At this point, others start to report that they see Chris lashing out. And this behavior shows itself very clearly shortly after the doctor's visit when Chris gets into an argument with a younger child on a school bus. This child was only in second grade, so he was like eight years old. Uh And it, yeah, it escalates to Chris putting the child in a chokehold. So Chris gets reprimanded at school and at home, and is told by his grandparents that if his behavior doesn't get better, then they're going to have to send him back to his dad, which makes sense, but is like this kid's absolute worst nightmare. Right. Right. Makes sense. And that night, his grandparents take him to church, but his behavior there is not great, and they have to take him back early. He was apparently like kicking the back of the pianist's bench and they told him to stop he wouldn't stop so it was a whole thing they left the church and as a punishment Chris is locked in his room and he's given the warning that he will be paddled if he attempts to come out and I mean this was when it was more acceptable to use corporal punishment it's still I mean 2001 and his grandparents were in their 60s so
2: it's what they were raised but I feel
1: like From
0: an unprofessional opinion, him lashing out isn't going to be solved by them (laughs) saying that they're going to paddle him. You know, that's that's not not going to stop him from acting out. If anything, it's going to tell him that behavior like that is okay. And
1: yeah, Yeah, right, like oh, your punishment for aggression is aggression. (laughs) Right. That's my biggest issue with corporal
0: punishment is that you you punish bad behavior with objectively bad behavior
1: and yeah, then like you're modeling
0: you it <laughs> when your kids continue to model that behavior
2: well the thing is like obviously there's been way more research on this now but like punishment like that is not effective if anything it's more detrimental
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's definitely what the research has shown but yeah i mean that is what they said and they gave him that warning but chris comes out of his room and he's paddled like he was warned that he would be. They end up doing that. They to their guns. Yep. And then he gets sent back to bed. After this, this is part of Chris's words too, but his anger just really intensifies after this, mm-hmm. which does make sense. And later on, I think – Only like 10 minutes later, when his parents have already gone to bed, Chris gets out of his room and gets a shotgun his grandfather had in the house, which gun safety people, if you are going to own a gun, like keep that locked up and away from children. Like if you're going to own a gun. That
2: is literally the law.
1: Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. So he actually taught Chris how to use this gun as well. And Chris aims the gun at his grandparents' heads and shoots four times, killing both Joe and Joy Pittman. After this, Chris collects stacks of paper and puts them near lit candles around the house. He finds his grandfather's wallet. He gains possession of a couple other of his grandfather's guns. He takes the family dog, which I guess good that you saved the dog. Yeah. And he flees the scene in his grandfather's car. So the house goes up in flames. The bodies of Joe and Joy are found. And it is still evident that foul play was involved. Okay. Neighbors report that Chris was staying with Joe and Joy when they're at the scene. And first responders then go look for Chris. But he's obviously not in the house.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I know I'm so late to this, but it just hit me now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He was 12, and he knew how to drive. I couldn't even properly drive a car when I was
0: 16 years old. I was gonna make a joke and say I can't even properly drive now, but that- that- it's a joke. I can. Yeah, you
2: can. <laughs> Honestly, Kate- Kate is, like, the ep- epitome of- when people describe like small woman driving, like she's literally like absolutely as close to the steering wheel as you can possibly get, and she's like propped forward, she's like, "I'm
1: ready." You want me to be able to reach the pedals? I'm five feet tall. No, I I basically am too, but I like I just like go back and I'm like, "Woo!" And you're just like, <laughs> "I'm an anxious." Driver. I was gonna say, if anxiety was a picture, it would be you driving. That's so- <laughs> That might be the most accurate thing i ever heard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love it. Like I love it, but
0: <laughs> Oh, you're so oh right. I hate it. <sighs> anyway, no, Rachel, that's a really good point. I was in the back of my head wondering why did this kid know how to drive at twelve? But then also his grandfather did teach him how to shoot a gun. Probably
1: they're in South Carolina. I was gonna say South Carolina, there's no laws there. No, and it's no this lot. is a very small town, like only a couple thousand people there. So, they right. pro- there's probably a lot of back roads they practiced on, right, right? But yeah, so he's not in the house. So, their first thought, since he is, as we've mentioned, only 12, is that someone has kidnapped him, right?
0: I don't think that's logical,
1: yeah. But the next morning. Chris is 40 miles away, so he got 40 miles in this car, which is, that's a lot for a 12-year-old. But he does end up getting his car stuck in the woods. So he starts walking, but he comes into contact with two hunters. And the story that Chris decides to tell them is that a black man killed his grandparents and took off with him in his grandfather's car. Um, Yeah. uh Mm -hmm.
2: Another thing. Mm-hmm. It just popped into my mind. So we're still in the early 2000s. Was it a fucking stick shift or was it an automatic?
1: I did not delve into that, but if I'm it was sorry. a stick shift, then small. that's more impressive. But
0: I was gonna say it's, it, it's bordering on impressive if it was a stick shift. Um, honestly, I can't even astounding. drive a stick. I don't even no. know how that works. No. Prindle, Prindle, and the am, and the
1: foom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a oh good responsible character. I am. The hunters do report this to the police because at this point they're like, yeah, I guess we'll believe you. But they do report that they feel that something isn't quite right because of how calm Chris is. He's Mm. brought to the police station for questioning and his story is pretty similar to what he told hunters. So the police at this point aren't really super suspicious. Kids do handle situations or traumatic situations differently than adults do a lot of the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the, the police at the scene look into the claims. And at that point, they also think something isn't quite right because there is no evidence that points to someone breaking in. And they tell this to the detectives who then press Chris Moore on what happened. And Chris ends up confessing to the murders and tells the cops what happened. He tells officers, I just aimed at the bed. I shot four times. I didn't care then. I'm not sorry. They deserved it. They beat me with a paddle. Oh. It would definitely be mm. different if he was like breaking down and like, what did I do? And I'm so sorry. But right. it was very apathetic. Doesn't seem to have much remorse, at least at this yeah. point. Yeah. Following this, Chris is charged with double homicide and arson at the age of 12. The prosecution mm-hmm. ends up getting Chris to be tried as an adult. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I was surprised by that because it's 12 is young for an adult. Like to be tried as an adult. I can understand like 16, 15, but like 12? I don't know. Just how do you? Particularly heinous crimes. I mean- how do you determine that though? What if it's
2: mental illness?
1: Yeah, and honestly, like, they were a little shocked that the judge approved that.
2: It was probably mm. just because of the lack of empathy. And he Remorse. was just like, yeah, he yeah. didn't care at all. Like, if you're not sympathetic, like, obviously, there's something wrong there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, they did have to change the venue because Chester was such a small town. And as mm-hmm. you know, people were talking like crazy about this case. I mean, this yeah. was... A nationwide case at the time, but the town itself could not stop talking about this twelve-year-old who most of them knew who killed his grandparents. So good luck finding an impartial jury. Exactly. Yeah, that's the whole reason they moved it. Yep. It was moved to Charlestown. Wait, no, sorry, I said that in Boston. <laughs> it was moved to Charleston. I said Charlestown. <laughs> the trial took place in 2005, so two years after the crime. And the defense claimed that Chris had mania caused by him taking Zoloft, which ultimately caused him to kill his grandparents. And I had to include this because I knew Kate would love it. The defense used a rarely used type of insanity plea called Mm -hmm. involuntary intoxication. Yes,
0: it's super rare because... The argument is that you can't be involuntarily intoxicated if you yourself are putting the medication or the alcohol into your body. We learn about it in law school just so they can tell us that it's never used.
1: So, yeah, so I guess in this situation, it was because he was a child and because a lot of times it's only used when it's like doctors prescribing things to, I guess, children, like people who are not really able to make their own decisions.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably the most reasonable example I've heard of it being used. I mean, they always say in law school it's like, well, you what do they always say? Like something about I'm I'm blanking real quick. You've definitely
2: tried to block it out. You've had enough. That's what you're that's what this is
0: saying to us. Yeah. (laughs) i I yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about right now. Um but yeah, that that is really a very, very rarely used defense. But that's super yeah. interesting. I've, I don't think I've actually ever heard of a real case where they actually argued that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I feel like the, the trial itself was pretty interesting to read mm-hmm. about. But the judge actually presented the option of a plea deal, which would see Chris being sentenced for two to 30 years, which oh. is important to keep in mind for later. But- Prosecution argued that a lot of prescriptions had been written for Zoloft and there were warnings for suicidal thoughts for children taking it, but not homicidal.
0: Yeah. I mean Yeah.
2: I I don't know, I get that. Yeah. But the thing is, like, if you already have underlying like conditions, like it could definitely be exacerbated yeah. by medication like that.
1: This is yeah. like where yeah, yeah, I'll get into that. I'll get into this in a bit. I want to save it, but I really think they argued the wrong thing here. But anyway, they also cited his admission, his lack of remorse, and the attempted cover up of the crime in building up to their ultimate argument that Chris knew right from wrong. Like, he tried to cover this up. He knew that it was wrong. It wasn't just... The Zoloft that was making him go into a state of mania and he didn't know what he was doing. Like, he was aware that he was doing this. He didn't think it was a dream. And Mm -hmm. he tried to hide it after. That tracks
0: because they do have to prove intent. And Mm -hmm. an insanity defense is that you didn't have the mental capability to intend to commit the crime you're accused of. So they they would have to prove that he was aware of what he was doing and knew that it was wrong yeah so
1: yeah chris's father was not there because defense attorneys asked him to stay away they were concerned that his father would be questioned about how he treated chris as a child because though like i said his Mm -hmm. father denies it chris has stated that his father abused him and that's why he wanted to live in chester in the first place because he wanted to avoid his dad prosecutors also argued that abuse was what drove Chris to kill his grandparents. Like, after dealing with it from his father, he could not deal with being paddled by his grandparents. Like, that was the final straw for Mm -hmm. him. So, and then since the defense had the argument that it was the Zoloft, they didn't want to introduce that. So, I don't know. Okay. So, Chris didn't take the stand. And they just say that's because they didn't want it at the time a 15 year old to be grilled on stand. But mm-hmm. he did talk to 48 Hours, a television show, about why he did it. And instead of going with his original story here, he leaned more into the Zoloft defense, as it was coined. Huh. And he stated that drug was causing him to hear voices uh, called command hallucinations, and he had thought the whole thing had been a dream. At the time of the murder, it is possible that he was suffering from a combination of symptoms from the high dose of Zoloft as well as withdrawal symptoms, as we said, from Paxil. Mm-hmm. And the next fact is from Mayo Clinic. So I also want to make it very clear that I'm not a medical doctor at all. But <laughs> according to this, the average do- the average dose of Zoloft for adults is usually 50 milligrams at first and no more than 200 milligrams per day. And for children, they usually start with 25 milligrams, and then the max dose they can take is supposed to be 200.
2: Yeah. So so yeah, um, I would say hmm. for sure, usually they start super low, because you rather just like increase it gradually than just be like, oh, here you go. Like,
1: yeah. And his just was 200 from the get go, which is just insane to me. And
0: that's alarming. It's borderline alarming.
1: Was any
2: investigation put into, like, the psychiatrist that prescribed that at all?
1: Not that I know of, no. Well, like, I know there was a lot of discussion with this trial. Like, this was why it was so controversial about Mm -hmm. how much he was prescribed and, like, the the fact that he was on Zoloft at all, it was – I feel like it was kind of villainized, obviously, during this trial, which, like, (sighs) I – do have issues with too, but yeah I don't know the thing
2: is like I obviously when people villainize Zoloft they don't realize that he was coming off of another drug like that's where the main issue is that he's literally withdrawing and then like
1: completely starting a new
2: antidepressant
1: and it was like so high and he was 12 years old like he was a child taking like a super high prescription from the start or a super high dose from the start it sounds like malpractice to me It does, yeah. I I did look up if there is increased aggression with these kind of, like, the SSRIs mostly, and Mm -hmm. there's some evidence of it in children specifically. Um, There is evidence of, like, irritability for, like, Mm -hmm. the withdrawal symptoms of the other one and stuff like that, so Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard to tell, but the jury deliberated for seven hours, and they found Christopher Pittman guilty of two counts of voluntary manslaughter- One juror said that he and others just could not accept the defense claim that a drug could lead a person to kill. He said, a million people take it every day. Why would he be the only one that reacts like this? He's fucking 12. He's 12. I know, yeah. I think that that, like, that was something that I kept thinking about when reading this. It was like, they just ignored that. But the thing is, like, they argue, I feel like they just argued the wrong thing. Like... Mm. they tried to make this argument that it was zoloft that was the killing him but yeah but like that was definitely not the only factor there was so much going on and like they couldn't argue any of the other things or his prior history of potential abuse and like instability because they needed to make sure it was the zoloft that was the killer so right But there was also controversy in regards to the jury and their verdict. Two jurors admitted to feeling coerced into their decision. And another juror was found to have discussed the trial with his wife and bartender during deliberations. Bartender? Damn. Yeah. Random. Christopher was ultimately sentenced to 30 years on each account. Which was the shortest possible sentence. Mm -hmm. The like the defense was just killing themselves at this point because they could have taken the two to 30 years if they Mm -hmm. agreed to the plea, but no. The judge did decide to have the sentence run concurrently, so Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be like two sentences served one after the other, so like it wouldn't be 60 years. They're running at the same time, so it's still 30 years. And his projected date of release is February 22nd, 2023. So in a few months. Yeah, he appealed in 2006, and a petition to pardon him was presented at the time, but the court affirmed his conviction with a four to one vote. I know he tried again in 2008, but they just nixed that one, essentially. Overall, I think this case is not super black and white. (laughs) Obviously, I feel like a lot of people make it out to be that way. And I can definitely see why it was so controversial at the time.
0: I mean, there's there's a lot of factors in there, including his age and the medication and the effect of the medication and the fact that there's not a ton of studies on the effect of no. medications
1: on children, especially. Mm-mm. Still not. At the time, actually, Paxil, was, there were no studies of it done on children. Like, no yeah. one knew I mean, for sure I'm the not- effects of Paxil on children. So, yeah. I mean, it was... it's. It's just interesting to think about with all the reports of like how he had been reacting to the medication and clearly mm-hmm. stuff in his life beforehand had had contributed to what he did and like what culminated on that night. But yeah, I, I think it played at least a small role in that.
0: Yeah, but, absolutely. I would say, I mean.
2: I really wonder. Who I are we to like, say? But... I feel like perspectives have changed like, now, like, we're in 2022, and it's, like, you want to try therapy, you want to try cognitive behavioral strategies before you, like, prescribe Mm -hmm. medication, obviously, like, that wasn't the case at this point, they were just throwing medication at people, be like, here you go, this is gonna work, Mm -hmm. right,
1: that was my case, I was so interested in, like, the trial that happened and everything, it was very interesting, to hear about yeah, like yeah. the the argument that they ended up going with. So,
2: Christine, mm-hmm. yeah, what I need from you right now is I need you to put in your phone. I need you to put this date, the the date of this trial, February twenty second, two thousand twenty three, for a reminder mm-hmm. because you need to update me because I need to know.
1: My concern <laughs> is like he is thirty three right now, so young, so... I believe. I looked up – I actually have his, like, inmate profile, and I was looking at all of his jobs that he had in the prison system. Um, I have that on here. But, yeah, right now he is 33, so he's going to be either 33 or 34 when he gets out. And what is so crazy is that he has been in jail for far longer than he was ever not in jail. He's literally grown up there. What's going to happen when he gets out? that that's mostly what he's known like
2: (laughs) I feel like that's so it's so hard because like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because obviously I feel like that's going to cause way more damage like to his brain because like developmentally that's where he grew up
0: yeah and depending on his access to education and counseling his recidivism rates could be really high growing up in an environment like that. Mm. And this is me not being an expert on it. But I do know that, generally speaking, access to education, access to consistent employment, and access to rehabilitative and counseling services generally reduce the rates of recidivism. But for a young offender like that, it's
1: a really uphill battle. He's been working for a mm-hmm. while within the prison system, but um, it did say he didn't have any education credits. I mm-hmm. saw that on his, like, inmate profile. So that is a thing. Um, the I guess the one positive is that, from what I can gather, his family is very supportive of him. Okay. He, like, during the entire time that he was awaiting trial, which was over two years, his maternal grandmother actually took him in. Oh. And a lot of people were like, are you scared of him? Like, he literally killed his other set of grandparents. And she was like, no, I know he's a sweet boy. He was obviously wrong. It was a mistake. But, like, I've ne- I'm have i never scared of him. Like, I've not been scared of him once. Like, he's welcome here. And I guess they still visit him. His sister was super supportive. His dad is still involved. So
0: I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Yeah? It's, yeah. Wow. That is a hell of a case. Yeah.
2: At least now we know not to give that dosage, first of all, but also to not just be, like, the first resort. Let's just, like, hand out medication to all the children. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Definitely. All right. I feel bad, obviously, for his grandparents, but
0: there was something. There's clearly a lot going on in his life. That his brain chemistry. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know if I want to say thank you or like be mad at you for <laughs> making me think about this. But um <laughs> thank you for like putting the time in to research that because that was very interesting. Yeah,
2: that was super interesting. Yeah. Of course. I love when psychology is involved. Obviously, you know that.
0: Love it. I know. <laughs> I think it's so cool. Adding a rare legal defense. oh I'm in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for all the time you put into this case. um, And for filling out our 10th episode, Double digits. Yeah. And, um. Ah! Excited to hear yours next week. Yeah, I, uh, I already told you what it is. So we'll, uh, get into that for a lucky episode 11. Yeah. So, um, thanks for tuning in and we'll, uh catch you guys on the flip side all right
2: bye everyone the flip side as (sighs) in next week bye everybody
0: (laughs) i mean next week you know what i
2: meant (gasps) i just needed to put in my two cents
0: (laughs) bye guys